This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saber. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about fruitcake. Yeah. Fruitcake. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't have much, if any, experience with fruitcake. Um, but I am aware of its terrible reputation. Uh, there, There's some holiday movie, probably more than one, where the mailman just throws out fruitcake after fruitcake. If anyone remembers what that is. I feel certain that I've had a slice of it at some point, but that might be some kind of bizarre movie film memory that's just been stuck celluloid integrated into your own memories. Um, And one of the reasons we're talking about it is I kind of wanted to get to the bottom of why it's so loathed. But also it's the holidays coming up as we record this. Mm -hmm. And it is commonly associated with the holidays. In Truman Capote's 1956 short story, A Christmas Memory, the whole story gets started with an old woman glancing out her window and saying, oh my, it's fruitcake weather. (laughs) And then her and her buddies start gathering all the stuff they need uh, for a four-day fruitcake baking extravaganza. And these ingredients include stolen pecans and bootleg whiskey. When the bootlegger hears the intended use for this whiskey, he says something along the lines of, Oh, that's no way to waste a fine whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) And Truman Capote's aunt, Marie Rudisil, um, has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno several times under the stage name, The Fruitcake Lady. Huh. So Truman Capote has a lot of... A lot of fruitcake connections. That's right. That's right. 
And December 27th is National Fruitcake Day. And January 3rd is National Toss the Fruitcake Day. Oh. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of the dichotomy fruitcakes got going on. <laughs> it does. But this brings us to our question. Fruitcake. What is it? Well, in the parlance of our times, fruitcake is a sweet, rich, moist cake. The, the batter is traditionally made with wheat flour, eggs, butter, dark sugars, and warm spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, and allspice. It is heavily studied. Studied? <laughs> by <laughs> us, it by is. By us, it absolutely <laughs> is. It's heavily studded with dried and candied fruits and nuts, as you might imagine from the word fruit cake. Uh, Most traditionally, those fruits are raisins, citrus peel, and the nuts are almonds. But honestly, anything goes. And candied cherries are very common modernly. A rich brown liquor like brandy, whiskey, or rum is often incorporated. Either the fruits are soaked in it before being stirred in and or the finished cake is basted in liquor. For those who do not imbibe, things like apple juice or vanilla syrup can be substituted, though. The overall effect of this is Kind of overwhelming, like lots of heavy flavors and differing textures, but it tastes like Christmas. Tastes like Christmas. The cake can be coated in an apricot glaze for sheen. Some versions are topped with a crunchy royal icing and or a layer of almondy marzipan to to make it look snowy white for winter. Yeah. And this is often called Christmas cake and is more of a British thing. So it looks... And tastes like Christmas. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Festive indeed. Indeed. Nutrition-wise, it is a calorie bomb for sure. So much sugar. It's it's meant to be an expensive treat. So, you know, treat it accordingly. Yeah. Um, numbers-wise, in 2006, about 3,000 pounds, which comes out to about 1,360 uh, kilograms of fruitcake, were delivered to soldiers in Iraq. Also, side note... The average fruitcake weighs two pounds? They're hefty. What? The Harper's Index found that fruitcake shares the same density as mahogany, the wood. It's all those nuts and fruit. They're they're packed in. All that liquor, too. You could hurt someone with that. You certainly could. They're not projectile weapons. Well, they're not meant to be. Yes. Well. We'll get more into that in a minute, actually. Yes. Um, 47% of people who received a gift of a fruitcake report throwing it away. 11% report re-gifting it. That's one of my favorite statistics ever, re-gifted fruitcake. Some report using it as a doorstop or a paperweight. So pretty pretty hefty indeed. The average shelf life is three years, but if stored in an airtight tent, a fruitcake can last up to 26 years, which is amazing. Or longer. Yes, or longer. We'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Another, another thing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, news to me, but there are plenty of types of fruitcakes. There's chocolate fruitcake, Civil War fruitcake, peacock fruitcake, Japanese fruitcake, which is popular in the southern United States and has no known connection to Japan, of course. <laughs> Stained glass fruitcake, which is so densely packed with dried fruit that when held up to the light, it looks like stained glass. Sometimes, I think, called bishop's cake. That's pretty spectacular. Mm -hmm. There are also a lot of cakes with fruit in them that tend to be eaten around the winter holidays but are not quite what we are talking about here. A Dundee cake from Scotland, panettone from Italy, stolen from Germany, etc., All of these are more cakey in texture, less like cake had babies with a granola bar 
and more like cakes that happen to contain granola bar ingredients. From Italy, there's also panforte, which uh, contains no eggs and is thus more bar-like on this scale. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, all right. Uh, Pop culture. Uh, It seems that, like, candy corn, fruitcake has its lovers and its haters. Comedian and talk show host Johnny Carson joked in 1985, the worst Christmas gift is fruitcake. There's only one fruitcake in the entire world, and it keeps getting passed around. (laughs) So that's not a a glowing review. Huffington Post called the fruitcake, quote, easily the most hated cake in the existence of baking. And this article listed out the reasons why we hate fruitcake, which in their minds includes things like it looks radioactive, it looks pockmarked or diseased, and that the cake in the name is misleading. <laughs> the, that, that radioactive thing comes from the frequent inclusion, especially mid-century onward, of those candied cherries, of, of candied maraschino cherries that we talked about in our maraschino cherry episode, which are sort of glow. Yeah, and one of the reasons they were chosen is because Christmas colors. Yeah, uh, festive red and green. That's right. The word itself is commonly used as English slang to describe someone who is insane or eccentric. Yeah. My roommate, Heidi, informed me when I told her I was doing this research. She was like, oh, that was my favorite nickname for my best friend just after college. Aw. They called each other the fruitcakes. The fruitcakes. That sounds like an excellent band that should exist. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. We, we keep giving ourselves more product, projects to do. <laughs> um, so back to that whole... Uh, projectile thing. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Colorado has taken this disdain of fruitcakes and made a a fun festival out of it. Uh, The annual fruitcake toss, where the unwanted fruitcakes are sent flying via catapult. Uh, The event went on hiatus, so I'm not sure if it still takes place. The website wasn't working. But if any of you listeners go or have been, Mm -hmm. let us know. Send pictures. Yes. Mm -hmm. There are award categories like Catch the fruitcake, no thank you, Um, (laughs) accuracy, crowd pleaser slash most creative, best showmanship, people's choice. There are weight divisions, weight divisions. To qualify, the fruitcake has to have nuts, flour, dried fruits, and it has to be edible. (laughs) I like that. I like that specificity there. Yeah, it's important. Keep, Keep people honest. Yeah. But on the other side of the spectrum, Claxton, Georgia... And Corsicana, Texas, are sparring over the title of fruitcake capital of the world. And they're, like, fighting kind of uh, like we talked about in Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. One of them is in Georgia. We should go. We should go. I, You know, doing this research, I haven't had a fruitcake, but I feel for the fruitcake. I know. Yeah, oh. me too. I kind of want to defend it, and I want to try it. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Uh, One thing that I love about this is the fruitcake has been involved in several science experiments, including buoyancy (laughs) and getting blown up in a bomb calorimeter. That's pretty cool. Um, Each year, Richmond Science Museum of Virginia throws a post-Christmas fruitcake celebration calling for donations of unwanted fruitcakes for science. That is cool stuff. And it literally can be, like, like some experiments they've done well, what happens if you quick freeze fruitcake with dry ice? What if you light them up with a torch or send them aloft via balloons? Yeah, that's good. I like I like the idea of turning potential food waste into fun science. 
Yeah, yeah. I really want to check this event out, honestly. Um, but this whole this dislike of fruitcake is actually pretty new. Historically, it's been popular. One recipe printed in November of 1936 ended with the line, when completely cool, cover with glass top and put high up on a shelf for Christmas. If the shelf isn't high enough, someone will want the cake for Thanksgiving. Or maybe much sooner. That's right, my family. (laughs) You gotta have a pretty good hiding place. But yeah, people were digging fruitcake. Yeah, and uh, we'll get into the history of that right after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Sponsor. Yes, thank you. 
these days people might like having a having a go at fruitcake, making some jokes. Yeah. But fruitcake has survived for centuries. Millennia even. It will weather your jokes. Ah. <laughs> Ancient Romans <laughs> were making a precursor to fruitcake that was a mixture of nuts, raisins, pomegranate seeds, and barley, all mashed together in something that was more energy bar-like than cake-like. Possibly it was in a ring shape. And this cake was called satura, and that word is the root for our, our modern English word, satire, because of the cake's mix of sour and sweet ingredients. Ah. Yeah. Roman soldiers took this highly portable and long-lasting fruitcake-esque thing with them when marching out to battle. The basic idea was there, though, and some historians think that the ancient Egyptians placed a type of fruitcake on the tombs of loved ones. Huh. Mm-hmm. If we skip ahead to medieval Europe, we get a more direct ancestor to our modern-day fruitcake and also the name. Now that dried fruits were more widely available, so were breads that had these dried fruits and them. That makes sense in Western Europe. Honey was a popular addition in these breads, too. And we get a couple different versions in this period. In the 13th century, Italy comes out with their sweet and spiced strong bread, panaforte. Around the same time, you could find Germany stolen. It was a Dresden delicacy, and it has its own festival to this day. And again, listeners, if you've been. Oh, yeah. Pictures, please. The fruitcake continued to be a go-to option for soldiers, particularly during the Crusades. And dried fruits from the Mediterranean arriving to Europe boosted the fruitcake's profile. Like plums. Yeah, and... uh, We've talked about Britain's plum pudding before on this show, and Lauren, she really plumbed the depths <laughs> of the research. I I went on a really serious plum pudding aside. I had to stop myself, but it's tied so intrinsically, I think, to the to the history of the fruitcake. I wanted to go through some of this. So plum pudding, modernly, is a boiled cake. It's similar to fruitcake in that it's rich and dense and spiced and studded with dried fruits or candied fruits and nuts. And note that less wealthy folks might not have had access to an oven at home until the 1700s or 1800s. So boiling a pudding would have been more feasible than baking a cake for a lot of folks up until that time. Originally, circa the 1400s, plum pudding was a savory and sweet dish that contained mincemeat, like minced meat, not mincemeat as in nuts, which is sometimes referred to today. And it was served at the beginning of a meal rather than the end and could be found on tables year-round. And no, it did not usually include plums in the recipe or even prunes. Raisins and currants were the most popular ingredients and still are today. Prunes were among the first dried fruits available in Britain from the Mediterranean. And apparently the term plum to describe all kinds of dried fruits was adopted and stuck. Yep. Plum pudding. Starting in the 16th century, sugar from the colonies went into the fruitcake mix along with nuts. Uh, instead of the aforementioned meat, yes. Although the use of suet, uh, a rich organ fat, remained in recipes of plum pudding and remains to this day. The addition of sugar and nuts made it a treat for special occasions. And then as globalization made spices like nutmeg and cinnamon limitedly available and widely posh, um, those spices went in as well, making it even more special occasion-y. It might also include brandy in the batter or call for the dried fruits to be soaked in brandy. This paved the way for the Caribbean black cake where the fruit is soaked in rum for up to a year. Before baking, yeah, which is still a Christmas specialty in that area. 
Also, if the plum pudding was to be made a few weeks ahead or even a few months ahead, it would sometimes call for regular feeding, a.k.a. basting, of the cake with alcohol. And this was, A, you know, tasty, and B, would preserve the cake against spoilage. (laughs) By the 1670s, it was associated with Christmas specifically, and recipes showed up as Christmas pudding instead of plum pudding sometimes. But it was so rich that Puritans banned it, Possibly Oliver Cromwell himself. What? That guy. Ugh. According to the Telegraph, Cromwell declared that eating it was a lewd custom, inappropriate for people who followed God. A lewd custom? Yeah. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. George I supposedly requested it to be served at his first reigning Christmas in England in 1714, giving him the nickname the Pudding King. I like that. Right? What a great King. nickname. <laughs> I can only aspire to such a great nickname. I know. (laughs) Uh, By the 1800s, a plum pudding would be served in a sauce of wine or brandy, which by Victorian times came to be lit on fire on its way to the table. I've never witnessed this. I really want to. I do, too. I love a good fire coming closer and closer my way. (laughs) (laughs) Under control, of course. (sighs) Oh. Victoriano was also the era that enshrined Stirrup Sunday. This is a semi-official church holiday that occurs on the last Sunday before the Advent. This year, it was Sunday, November 25th, during which the whole family will gather to help make and stir the plum pudding Mm -hmm. to be preserved until Christmas. Huh. That's fun. I don't think I could ever get my family on board with that. But maybe I could. It's, it's, it's got traditions. You're supposed to, like, everyone's supposed to stir it and make a wish while they're stirring. Oh. Yeah. You're supposed to stir it east to west to mirror the journey of the wise men to the baby Jesus. Oh. Okay. But the wish but the wish part, I feel like that could be a selling point. <laughs> <laughs> Plum pudding also frequently involves sort, sort of like king cake, little tokens or, uh-huh. or, or, or pennies or something like that to represent good luck, like whoever finds the token or whoever finds whatever kind of token is, like, lucky in whatever way for the coming year. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm big into that, so maybe I'll just... I think that plus the fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Although I am very, very clumsy. Yeah, no, I'm not allowed to do that for sure. I'm always the one who sets something on fire. <laughs> that is... I mean, that's a fun... Like, <laughs> when someone introduces you. This is Lauren. She always sets things on fire. <laughs> It's a good conversation starter. Accidentally, I'm not even a pyro anyway. Back to fruitcakes. Yes. Plum pudding aside aside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all, all of this plum pudding stuff was happening in parallel to the development of the modern fruitcake. Yeah, and kind of similarly by the 18th century, um, it got to the point that continental Europe outlawed the fruitcake, which at the time were called plum cakes, for being sinfully rich. Of course, this law was eventually repealed, in part because the fruitcake had become a big part of English tea time. In the 1700s, a fruitcake tradition arose. A cake was made at the end of the nut harvest and then saved to be eaten a year later in hopes of securing another successful nut harvest. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Another tradition around fruitcakes that came about around this time Unmarried wedding guests would place a slice of fruitcake under their pillows, and in theory, (laughs) it would bring dreams of their future spouse. We need to do a whole episode on wedding cakes. Oh, yes. And separately birthday cakes. All the traditions around these are great. 
I know. And that, that gives you another, at least me, indication of just how dense this cake is, that I could put my pillow and my head atop it and it wouldn't just smoosh. Just smoosh. <laughs> yeah. No. That's, that's some pr- pretty serious cake. <laughs> and speaking of wedding cakes, Queen Victoria's wedding cake was a fruit cake. And if you remember... It was this wedding that gave us a lot of our modern-day wedding traditions, the ones still around. The weddings of Prince Charles and Princess Di and Prince William and Kate Middleton featured fruitcakes as well. A slice of Charles and Kate's wedding cake sold for $7,500. What? Mm-hmm. Man. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I feel like I bought it up on this. I, I haven't. I, um, there's this episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> Um, where Uh Elaine um, accidentally, kind of on purpose, eats a very old cake that was, like, found in a royal cellar, like, 100 years old or something. And her boss had bought it through auction for a a very large amount of money. Mm -hmm. And um, she kind of, like, accidentally ate it, a little piece of it, and then Mm -hmm. ate the whole thing, and then replaced it with an intimate. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> her, her boss brings in a, somebody to appraise the value of the cake, and he says um, one fifty. And Peterman, her boss, is like, "Oh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars! You've made me enormous profit." And the guy's like, "No, a dollar fifty. You find this at the end of the grocery aisle." And then it turns out there was security footage, and he, he knew it was Elaine, and he said. I'm not going to punish you because I believe what's about to happen in your digestive tract will be punishment enough. (laughs) Anyway, I always was like, how could a cake last that long? But doing the research for this, perhaps it was a fruitcake. Yeah. Seinfeld aside. (laughs) Over. Um, Perhaps all of this, the the wedding cakes, the expense of it, um, maybe that's when fruitcake in particular took on an association with Christmas. But there is no clear historical marker that you can point to. Mm -hmm. It might just be because when Christmas trees and Christmas colors started solidifying during Victorian times, fruitcakes could be customized to match those colors, kind of like we were talking about earlier. And then there was this association between Italian unification and fruitcake that happened for a similar reason. A version of fruitcake was baked with red cherries and green citron for the colors of the Italian flag. Huh. So it could be a combination of colors, it was expensive, um, and also all the flavor, like the nut harvest, that's when that was happening. A lot of those spices are kind of warming. Yeah, warming spices uh, and became holiday-centric due to their expense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there also isn't a clear marker for when fruitcakes lost their popularity. But historians speculate this fall from fruitcake grace took place in the 20th century with the introduction of mail-order fruitcakes. These were not good. No. 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 They were dry and brick-like. Um, and these businesses are still around, by the way, but... I think probably they've improved, <laughs> and especially uh, Texas-based Collins Street Bakery, uh, which has been around since 1896, they make up to a million a year, and they ship to 196 countries. And this is the town um, in Texas vying for fruitcake capital of the world. Oh. I mean, I imagine that the whole mail order thing started because they are so labor and time, or not labor, but time intensive and mm. expensive to make personally. So at that point, if you can outsource it. Yeah. Oh, uh, 1911 is the year that maybe the oldest known surviving fruitcake was possibly made. During 
the expedition of Robert Falcon Scott to the South Pole, called the Terra Nova Expedition, they left a fruitcake in a hut in Cape Adare in Antarctica. Members of the Antarctic Heritage Trust found it there in that hut in 2017. Its container was severely corroded, but the team reported that there was a very, very slight rancid butter smell to it. But other than that, the cake looked and smelled edible. Hmm. And apparently, fruitcake is still a popular Antarctic food due to its energy density and durability. Well, that might also contribute to this next fact. In 1968, fruitcake went to space. Yeah, you can see it in the <laughs> Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. Apparently, fruitcake was also on the menu during the Apollo 17 mission in the 1970s. Wow. In a 1983 New York Times article called Fruitcake is Forever, the author, <laughs> Russell Baker, wrote he was in possession of a fruitcake one of his relatives baked in 1794 for President George Washington. <laughs> According to this story, Washington refused in a note saying it was unseemly for presidents to accept gifts weighing more than 80 pounds, even though they were only eight inches in diameter. (laughs) This is most likely not true, but it is very fun. (laughs) That sounds super apocryphal, but nonetheless, yeah. Yeah, it kept coming up and I I eventually just gave in and (laughs) we're just going to have to include it. In 1989, Dina Klein wrote an article titled, Just in Time, A Defense of Fruitcake. And if you'll remember, that Johnny Carson joke came out in 1985. And that is where some people point to the the big downfall of the fruitcake. Actually, I think it started before that. But it definitely didn't help. No. So this comes out a couple years later. And she argued that the problem was not the fruitcake, but the recipe and ingredients. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Another defense of fruitcake published in 2006 by Erica Yannick called Stop Making Fun of Fruitcake argued pretty much the same thing. So it's got its defenders out there. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. What oh. if I try it? I hate it. <laughs> I mean, if you if you like candied fruits, then you'll probably like it. If you don't, then probably not. I like candied fruits. And it's pretty rich. It's a it's definitely a small portion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. I'm down to try it. And we got a place, apparently, right here in Georgia. <laughs> the potential fruitcake capital of the oh, world. Oh, I want to I make one and keep feeding it with, uh, with brandy. That sounds great. I know. I love that. <laughs> anything, anything that's a project like that, any, anything that I get to feed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of projects, we got some science for you. We do. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. I wanted to tell you, Annie, about another long-lived fruitcake. Another one? Uh Uh-huh. This one was found circa 2002 by a soldier who had been gifted it while he served in Alaska in 1962. Oh, 40 years earlier. (laughs) It wound up uneaten in his mother's attic. That's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) And this brings me to the question of how can fruitcakes last so long? Well... Official USDA recommendations, I should mention, give a fruitcake two to three months in the fridge and up to a year in the freezer. But yes, depending on how you make one, it can last a lot longer, and at room temperature even. Although, note, uh, we, we cannot recommend that you try this at home. No. No. Please don't send angry. I, it's like three years later, we get a bunch <laughs> of angry fruitcake. <laughs> you said we could do this. Oh, we are washing our hands of that. Yes. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, that being said, they can last a lot longer because A, some of the ingredients in fruitcake are already preserved, those candied fruits, which uh, are usually boiled in some kind of sugar syrup, dried and then boiled in some kind of sugar syrup. And B, you add a whole bunch of sugar and alcohol to the mix. These prevent the growth of many bacteria and molds because they limit the water content of the cake. Like us, bacteria and mold need water to thrive. And sugar is a desiccant. It bonds with water, making the water otherwise unavailable. And alcohol, especially fresh alcohol used to feed or baste a fruitcake, will destroy the cell walls of bacteria. And again, 
I mean, like us, like bacteria need to keep their insides inside in order to thrive. And after bacteria and molds, the only thing you would have to worry about in preserving food for the long term is rancidity, rancidity of the oils. If you keep your cake tightly wrapped, the oils in the nuts, butter, and eggs used to make your fruitcake won't have much exposure to the air, the light, and the water, which can make oils go rancid, Um, along with bacterial growth, which we've also covered. So, yeah. Sugar, y'all. Sugar. Sugar, y'all. And uh, perhaps a new project on our horizon. Right. Oh, it's going to be so expensive. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to like it when it turns out. Those are the best kinds of projects. Perfect. <laughs> a giant waste of time and money. <laughs> as long as we can set it on fire. Oh, that's true. We could set it on fire and then launch it from a catapult. <laughs> and then probably go to jail. It depends on where you aim the catapult, right? Right? I've got mm. a yard. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of... This, our fruitcake episode, and hopefully our foolish ideation around launching a flaming fruitcake. <laughs> and to listener mail. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So wintry. It was wintry. Jenny wrote, I just finished your Red Lobster episode, and while that was great, I was more (laughs) amused by the listener mail about KFC and had to share. I spent six years teaching college in Kentucky. One year, one of my students who was from Japan asked if she could attend the commencement ceremony with my husband and I to see her friends graduate. Side note, ladies, you would have loved this young woman. She came prepared for the long ceremony with several giant bars of chocolate to share. Yes. 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 At the end of the very long ceremony, they played the state song, My Old Kentucky Home. Our friend became highly confused as the crowd all joined together to sing. When I asked what was wrong, she said, why is everyone singing the KFC theme song? (laughs) Turns out in Japan, My Old Kentucky Home is used in commercials to sell chicken. Total culture shock for my friend. I always tried to imagine what it would be like to be in her place. Perhaps something like attending a a wedding in Japan and hearing the attendees burst into the Oscar Mayer Wiener song after the exchange of rings. (laughs) That would be pretty weird. Oh, that's so good. I know. (laughs) I love it. Oh, um, Rosalind wrote about our Willy Wonka episode. I enjoyed said episode earlier this year and may or may not have repeated it a few weeks later and soon after had the idea of throwing together a Gene Wilder's Wonka costume in the event I ever attended a con of any kind. That still hasn't happened yet, but Halloween came and went. At this point, I'm sure you can take a guess at this year's costume. I work at a rock climbing gym, and as Wonka went all out and hid five golden tickets on some of the climbing routes during our Halloween event. She attached photos. They're great. Props to Goodwill for all the things. And in the event you go as Wonka anywhere, you may have a stranger shout slash sing across a parking lot. Who can take a rainbow to you? Highly recommended. Yeah, I'm kind of inspired to do this costume now. Oh, Gene Wilder had really specific thoughts about the costume. You can you can look you can look them up. He was very particular about the color scheming and about like the like which bits of it should match with with which other bits. Mm-hmm. I don't have that material right now in front of me, but but Google <laughs> Google Gene Wilder Wonka costume, and it will probably come up somewhere. Oh, Gene Wilder. Oh, and, and 
This Rosalind's costume was pretty fantastic and spot on. Absolutely. And hiding golden tickets around? Oh, that's great. Yes. yes, yes. (laughs) So thanks to both of them for writing to us. You can write to us as well. Our email is hello at saberpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! Zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.